first man to orbit the Earth um, in a spacecraft was a Russian cosmonaut. And it was said that when he got back, this might be apocryphal or maybe a misquotation, but he said something to the effect of, I was up there in the heavens and I never saw God. And uh, of course, the Russian Empire, the Soviet Union, was based on a certain militant atheism and their scientific progress in the space race and all of that was kind of an assertion of the power of man apart from these religious myths. And it always makes me think of uh, a quote that I often go back to, a priest who is our professor in seminary, that when I hear things like that, like, oh, I went up to heaven and, and that's where God supposedly lives, but I was up there and I didn't see some old man with a gray beard who was really, really big and nice. He must not exist. Uh, I think of this quote. He said, people don't lose their faith because of a lack of evidence, but because of a lack of imagination. People don't lose their faith because of a lack of evidence, but because they lack imagination. In other words, that cosmonaut, whether or not he said it, but certainly people have said similar things, um, he can't imagine what is really meant when we say the word God or when we say the word heaven. That these, these words take imagination. to. It's not just meaning God lives in the sky on a cloud, but what heaven is. What does it mean that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, yet you can't see him? Right? You can't see him with the eyes of your head. You have to see him with the eyes of your heart. All of this stuff takes imagination. But what is imagination? Often it gets a bad rap. It's like make-believe. You know, Kids have a lot of imagination because they can make up, I'm a princess and you're the prince, or I'm mom and you're the dad. And Kids play with their imaginations all the time, but it's not really true. But that's not truly what imagination means. The imagination is the human ability to penetrate beyond what you see in front of you to the truth of things. It's this power endowed because we're made in the image of God to see beyond appearance into what's really behind the appearance. So for example, do you believe that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around? I hope you do, you're in college. <laughs> the earth revolves around the sun even though it looks like the sun is revolving around the earth, correct? So for centuries and millennia, people assumed that what they saw was true, that the sun comes up in the morning and goes down, and it's just revolving around the earth continually. But what's really happening is what? That the earth is spinning on its axis, and that's what's making it look like the sun is coming up and coming. It's actually the earth that's moving. And then on top of that, it's going around the sun on this kind of tilted axis that causes the seasons to happen and all of that. But can you see those things? No, but you know they're true. You have to imagine it. You have to imagine that we're on a rock speeding through black outer space around this fireball that's, you know, light years away from us. And that's why it looks like it's coming around us and not the other way around. Or, for instance, that this ambo, this podium, the only reason my hand can't go through it is because of electromagnetic bonds between atoms. Right? That's the only reason that this is solid, that I can't pass through it, that even according to quantum mechanics, there is some minuscule approaching zero probability that my hand might, one time that I do this, go right through it, right? because of the location of the electrons and all the rest of it. Right? But all of that is in your imagination. You believe it to be true because you're good, modern, scientific, educated people. And we believe in atomic interaction. 
That's what substances are made of. But you can't see it. You have to imagine it. And so what's true in the scientific realm is also true in the spiritual realm. That it's not immediately apparent what's true. You have to use your imagination. So Peter, standing before Jesus, when he asks him, Who do you say that I am? In order for him to say, You're the Christ, or you're the Son of the living God, you're God incarnate, in so many words, he has to look at this man who he's known, who he's fished with, who he's walked with, with a beard and with a face, a man just like him in many ways, extraordinary in many other ways, but say something that is not apparent to the evidence of his eyes. He says, you're the Christ. You're the chosen one. You are God. Or you, good Catholics, faithful, believing Catholics, see the Eucharist after the consecration, this bread which is brought up to the altar and offered to God according to the words of institution that Jesus gave us. This is my body. This is the chalice of my blood. And now we see bread and wine, but because of our religious, sacramental, Catholic imagination, what we really see is Jesus. That takes imagination, which is why beauty is important. The imagination needs to be fed. It can be starved, can't it? And we can look at the world, and even though it's full of miracles and full of evidence of God's existence and his help and his grace, we can look at it and say, that's kind of boring, kind of dead. I don't see God. I don't feel him. Because our imaginations have not been fed. That's why we have beautiful cathedrals. Go to Europe to some of these medieval cathedrals, like I was in Paris this past summer, in Notre Dame Cathedral or Chartres Cathedral. These gigantic heavenly buildings that are meant to draw our eyes upward from that miracle that's happening on the altar to to show us that this is heaven meeting earth. All these stained glass windows with light pouring in, transfiguring the light from the sun and making them into these depictions of biblical scenes and beautiful, beautiful things. The music, the chant, the organ, all this stuff, this beautiful music that's meant to lift up our hearts and lift up our imaginations. Even the books we read and the shows we watch, the movies we see, they should lift up our imaginations and not tear them down or, or make them um, less able to see the truth of things. But one might say, well then, what about this letter from St. James who says, it's not enough just to believe. It's not enough just to see that Jesus is real or believe that he's the Son of God. You have to put your faith into works. How does it make sense, for instance, that there's this beautiful cathedral in Brazil, for say, And that just a few miles away, there's a shantytown full of poor people who don't have enough food to even eat or feed their children. They have no good housing. They're living in cardboard boxes. And yet, here you have this beautiful cathedral. How does that make sense? Wouldn't it be better to sell all that gold, all that precious art, and the altar, and the tabernacle, and all the rest of it, and give to the poor? Isn't that what God really wants? Well, yes. The short answer is, yes, if that's the only option, if that's all you have, Yes, of course it's much more important to serve Jesus and the poor than to decorate his altar with all sorts of finery. But don't think for a second that that still doesn't take imagination. To see that that poor person suffering or starving or naked or hungry or tired, don't think it doesn't take imagination to see that that person is your brother or your sister. That if you lack the imagination, if you don't come to church, and receive Jesus in the Eucharist. If you don't say, Our Father, who art in heaven, to recognize that behind all of this, our existence and the world around us is a loving Father who treats us all as his children, 
If you don't let the words of Scripture wash over you to say, whatever you do for the least of my brethren, you do for me, then it'll be a lot harder to go out to that shantytown, to that tent village, or to the poorest of the poor and treat them with the dignity that God wants you to. These friends, the Franciscans of the Eucharist, who minister here in Chicago in West Humboldt Park, spend time in adoration every single day of the Blessed Sacrament. They say, if you can't see Jesus in the Eucharist, you won't be able to see him in the poor. Mother Teresa had the same exact idea. She would spend one to two hours each morning kneeling in front of the Blessed Sacrament, time that she could have spent out ministering to the most destitute in Calcutta. But she knew that it was important to have her imagination and her heart captivated by this Lord, Jesus, who was so close to her in the Eucharist. I hope you've had experiences like this where your imagination is captivated by God and the truth of what's beyond the appearances. I remember one time coming home from a summer that had been so full of grace. I was at this place called the Institute for Priestly Formation. It was part of my seminary training. But for the first time, I felt like I had learned how to pray, how to relate to God and receive the grace he wanted to give me. It wasn't just work that I had to sit there and chew my rosary or read the breviary or whatever. It's things being good, but to actually receive all the love that God wants to give me. And I remember I was driving, and I had this little 2000 S10 truck, little, little red truck, and I was driving back from Nebraska to Illinois and up through the hills, the bluffs of Iowa across the Missouri River. And I had the Sufjan Stevens song on, The Transfiguration where he's singing about the transfiguration, but in this kind of mellow banjo mode. If you don't know Sufjan, it's a great musician. And all of a sudden, the hills of Iowa just came alive to me, and God was everywhere. And my heart was lifted, and the world looked full of beauty and promise. And then it felt easy to love my neighbor and to, to love my family and to love those who are difficult to love. It was easy to be good because I could see the grace. My imagination was active. But I'm sure you've also had the opposite experience. I know I have. If you go into church and you say, like, I'm so stressed out, I'm so anxious, I can't stop thinking about all these things. I want to just pray. I just want to feel calm. And you come into this church and you kneel down and immediately all your problems go away. Not. All of them are still in your head. You're trying to let God penetrate your imagination. You want to be overwhelmed by the beauty of the mystery, but all you're thinking about is, I'm hungry, what am I going to eat for dinner? What am I going to do right after I get done with this? How am I going to get this project done? etc., etc., etc. You cannot make your imagination lift itself up to the mysteries of the universe. This is Peter, that at one and the same time in this gospel today, Jesus looks at him right in the eye and says, who do you say that I am? And he passes the test. He doesn't say, you're just some man, you're just some God, you can do some cool miracles, maybe you're one of the prophets. He says, no, you are the Christ. He sees through the appearance to who he really is. But almost in the same breath, he has his imagination tested to its limit when Jesus starts teaching about what the Christ is supposed to do. That the Christ will suffer. That he'll be handed over to sinners. That he'll be killed. In other words, it was enough for Peter to say, you're God, Jesus. Then as soon as Jesus says, yeah, but I'm going to die. He says, nope, no, 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 no. <laughs> God doesn't die. I can go with you to this point. But that maybe is the crux of the whole issue, no pun intended, that the cross is the ultimate test of all of our religious, sacramental, spiritual imaginations. How can it be this commandment that Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross every single day and follow me. This is how you will be saved. This is how you'll know me. 
How can it be that when God feels the most distant, that that's actually when he's closest? How can it be when I feel the most abandoned, that that's when I'm being held most tightly by the Father? But that's the truth of it. That's the Christian revelation. Is that Jesus is God, and he's hanging on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's the ultimate paradox, it's the ultimate mystery, but it's true. And for us to become in communion with that mystery, we have to feed our imagination, constantly stretch it, coming to church every single Sunday, reading the scriptures and letting them wash over us every single day, praying and opening our hearts to let God change our minds, to open our hearts and stretch our imaginations to receive that mystery.